Welcome to the Strategy with Jason podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Strategy with Jason. Today we have a great podcast. We get to talk everything about data. We're going to talk about how EVs affect the service business. And we're even going to talk about who owns the customer relationship. You, the OEM, the dealer, the customer. We're going to find out. I have an amazing guest with me today. I have the one, the only, the oh-so-famous Mr. Tim Hayden with me. Tim, what's going on? How you doing? Hey, how you doing, Jason? It's good to see you, man. <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm, I, you know, I'm glad we're able to do this. I apologize. We had, I know we had rescheduled several times, and that was totally on me. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm excited. You know, what? it's Friday, right? It's right. right at the end of the day, and this is like the best way to kind of finish off my week. It's like I get. Yeah, we're to, just missing the beer. We're yeah. just missing a beer right now. Yeah. I'm not saying there ain't no. I'm hey, just, hey, uh, <laughs> hey, Tim, for everybody out there watching, listening, I love kicking off these podcasts with an origin story because sure. actually I got to be honest with you. I'm always personally fascinated to find out how people got started in the automotive business. So, so what is the origin story of how you got started in the automotive business? So, you know, for 25 years, I've been in the marketing and the customer experience world. Um, from owning an interactive agency that built websites for uh, companies that were making silicon wafers and microchips to later on doing experiential marketing, activating sponsorships for companies like AMD and Dell around everything from Formula One to the Indy 500 to ACL Fest, Lollapalooza, things like that. That's Even being fun. on tour with Justin Timberlake. Um, we, could, we could have another podcast just about that. But, uh, you know, uh, it was when I was doing the experiential stuff, I got into the mobile technology world. I started realizing that was that would be the glue to really tie what happens offline with what happens online. And that was around 2008, 2009. Uh, closed up my experiential shop, opened a mobile software company, did that for a few years. And then Edelman, the world's largest PR firm, asked me to come run their mobile program at, at where I had clients like Shell and Volkswagen as clients. I'm not, that doesn't really take me into the automotive world yet, <laughs> but uh, doing mobile strategies, SMS, uh, helping them with uh, understanding that things like billboards and cocktail napkins were mobile media too, because the phone was always right there with the human, with the, mm -hmm. with the customer. So uh, we could, if we wax on marketing, we can talk about that. But the, the short of it is that after I did that, I wrote a book, the mobile commerce revolution and then moved to California and got into media intelligence with a company called Zignal Labs. And then, this is really the abridged version, <laughs> moved back to Austin after living in the Bay Area for a couple of years and started Brain Trust. Okay. And Brain Trust is a, is a consultancy that I started with uh, a couple of guys that a lot of folks in the automotive world know. Scott Monty, who ran Global Digital Media at Ford Motor Company, and Christopher Barger, who was his counterpart over at General Motors. Uh, we started Brain Trust really to help large organizations, large brands, not specific to the automotive world, because to us, it was the consumer period that it was the opportunity, right, mm -hmm. when it came to marketing. So we got into the, the data business. One of our first customers, in fact, our very first paying customer was Brian Benstock at Paragon <laughs> Motors. So uh, that was the baptism, right? That yes. was the baptism into 
where things could be headed, and this was six years ago, right? So mind you, a lot of what's happening today, especially that which was accelerated by the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, that which was enabled or stalled by the pandemic, um, the state of the automotive industry today is much different than it was six years ago. But it was in working with uh, Brian really on that whole idea about a frictionless customer experience. If you remember, oh, yes, uh, if, I remember. If when he started delivering cars, when he started picking them up at your house and, and not asking you, not telling you that they had a bay open on Thursday at three, but telling you or asking you, when do you not need your car? And, <laughs> and when can we come get it? When do you need it back? That, those kind of things, flipping the funnel, if you will, and being customer centric. And that really took me to the world I'm in now, which is uh, the data business, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more now, because uh, uh, that to me is the key to what dealers need to be looking at from here forward. Well, and you know what? And we're glad you got into the business, even though I'm sure, you know, Justin Bieber is missing you. Justin Timberlake. Uh, Justin Timberlake. Sorry, I thought you said Bieber. Okay, Timberlake. No. All right. Well, Timberlake. Even, even better, actually. Even better. Okay. Because I was going to actually yeah. make fun a little bit. Now, now, okay. Well, it's Timberlake. So it's all good then. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. But, but no, but no, I, I, I think, you know, what you guys, what you brought into the industry and uh, what you, what you guys did with Brian and uh, that store was absolutely something else. And, you know, it, it, it takes people like Brian, you know, who just, just won't, won't accept the norm. And just say, no, that's not acceptable. We need to continue to move forward. But I think from what, you know, Brian and his dealership has done, and now many other have done as well, is that it's now opened up a whole nother can of worms, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that can of worms has a lot to do with, with data. And I think that, that that first part is just, you know, it's not just the data, but it's also just the relationship. It's like, you know, legitimately, like, who owns that relationship, you know, is it, is it the dealer? Is, is it the OEM? You know, I, mean, I see dealers out there that are like Brian that are taking ownership. Like, no, I'm going to own it. I'm going to treat it with respect. I'm going to do some amazing things with it. Right. Watch out. Right. Right. And then the other side of me sees the OEMs going, well, that's great, but that's a small percentage of the entire industry out there, you know, and I, and I see OEMs thinking or making a move or just even having internal conversations where they're like, do we need to take this back? And yeah. there are sometimes, Tim, I gotta be honest with you, I don't necessarily disagree with that, you know? Uh, right. But but I, I have, I'm pulled, I'm pulled in both directions, but I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on who owns the customer relationship. Well, I mean, let's be honest. I, I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex and my parents, my dad, um, owned a series of Cadillacs, Cadillacs and Lexus vehicles nice. that all came from the Sewell family, right? And uh, I can't remember the sales guy's name and I never really saw him as a sales guy, but there was one guy at Sewell for probably two or three cars of my growing up that would come to our house with a new vehicle at least once every six months and, 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 and have called my dad and told him he was on the way, right? This is, this is pre-email, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, would call him and, and, and say, listen, we got a, we have a new model, um, I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, an LS 400. Yep. We have a new LS 400 on the lot. I'd like to bring one by and have you, have you take it for a spin. And that kind of experience, right. Where th- they knew my name. Of course, I don't remember his, but they knew my name. They knew my, my father's son. They knew, they knew my sister. They knew my mom. 
Um, they knew it was in our garage. They cared what was in our garage, but they, they cared about us and they paid attention to us. And um, to answer, that's a long way of answering your question that I just think that it has been decades. Um, I, can, I can say that as old as I am now, yes. but it's been decades since that type of experience where the dealer knew everybody in town and, and had a relationship with them in some capacity, it's gone to this very transactional relationship where yes. uh, we'll do whatever we can to get you on the lot and get you behind the wheel, convert you, take you through the F&I process, and then we cut you loose. And we don't really invest all that is needed to preserve the relationship. So when you do need an oil change, when you do have a problem, you're coming to me and you're not going to Joe's garage. No, you know? that's a great point. Um, you know, that's, I, I, that's I, I find the technology happened. now. I mean, there are certain. I think of, I think about the processes. I think of just the entire story that you just told me, right? And I'm just trying to think of like, and I can actually see the process that, that would have to go in place for that person to be able to, at that point in time, with the tech that's available in his Rolodex, you know, of just like being able to remember, to maintain, to engage, you know, and it, to maintain the relationship, to engage on a regular basis that the relationship does feel you know, warm that it doesn't just feel like it's a transaction relationship. Like it's just, I'm just trying to sell you something else, you know? And so, you know, there's so many processes that go into that place into, into what you just talked about that story. There's so many. And and I feel like, you know, we've looked at technology now and it's almost kind of like we've expected the technology to kind of replace or the creativity that goes around creating those processes, which, which I, I know is not the case, and I, you know, and I know, I know, you know, Brian doesn't believe that either. It's like you, you define the process, then you work backwards with the technology to help support the process. Right. I, I just like, but how do we get the industry to kind of shift in that direction? Stop hitting the easy button, you know, define your process, work back towards the tech so that the tech supports it. It's a mindset, but how, how do we get the industry into that mindset? Well, you know, and, and let's not beat up the automotive industry. It certainly deserves it, but you know, it's every industry out there That's a good has point. has relegated itself yes. to judging the performance of the business on the performance of media, clicks, open rates, shares, comments. Um, did they call us or not? Um, you know, uh, did the mail get bounced? Come back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's all been that which has just gone to the outer layer of media performance instead of understanding who's behind all that, who is the customer, what are their preferences, what are their needs. And, of course, data tells that story. And I think that's, um, you know, that's that's the situation we've been. Um, and I'll, I'll borrow this. This is actually something that, that Brian Benstock had said to us a few times when we were working with him. He says, the problem with the car people is that people in the business only do business with the car people. Um, they, they don't look outside the industry. They don't look outside to see what other brands, what other verticals and industries are doing to improve the customer experience and customer relationship. So, you know, here, here we are now, and about 70% of the cars that are on the road, whether they're electric or not, are connected to the Internet, yeah. which means that the state of operations, the state of repair, and the state of use of that vehicle is on record with an OEM, at least not with a dealer. And therefore, so you know, this is a, it's the same thing in the healthcare industry, right? Is doctors now wanting to say, you know, there's, there are new startups now 
that are allowing things like Fitbit, Garmin, Nike wearables. Um, how do you how do you have those and you opt in so when you go to the doctor they can see how much you've been moving right and and all of that because Nike has slowly moved <laughs> into the moved into the space right and but but, there's, a de, but, you're, but it's a great point actually I mean, look, doctor, there's so much integration of data at this point you know um, and so much more to do there's so much more, so to do, much more to do right and it's like i don't know maybe i'm getting tacky or something like that and maybe it's because i was watching spider-man the other night with my kids or something but you know i'm thinking like you know with with you know with with great power comes great responsibility and 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 i just don't think dealerships realize how much power they have in the data that is available to them and and then once we start looking at how the data gets integrated together man power the the power of that data just exponentially increases but then the responsibility of the data exponentially increases so right like, let's talk a little bit about data integration you know th- th- and there's sure. so many different directions we can go but when when i say data integration what's kind of your first thought well it's it's the whole idea behind an api connection right mm-hmm. is how do how do i connect two systems that were marketed differently maybe came from two different vendors how do i get them to talk to each other well that's the problem with the databases that are behind all of these systems is that for the most part, those databases were never meant to be integrated and to talk to each other. And we're at a point right now, thanks to the cloud and thanks to the great progression in understanding how to go through standardization of API connections that we can build a data lake. We can build a data platform or there are plenty on the market right now that are called customer data platforms or CDPs that already have all the API connections ready to go. Yes. So to me, systems integration is not just using Zapier to connect like a Marketo to a Salesforce or to, in the case of a car dealer, their DMS. It's not just that. It is taking 100% of the data that exists in the organization and putting it in one place to let robots do what they do well, which is to apply <laughs> machine learning and, and understand data in, in, in the data in a way that you never have been able to before. Yeah, you know what? It, j- it just creates so many opportunities. Um, and, and I think they're, they're amazing opportunities as, as long as we keep the customer at the center of what we're doing and why we're doing it. You know, because that's I, the whole that's the whole point. Right. So, so but but so how do we do that? That would be my next. That's kind of my segue question here. Right. It's like we, we, we go down this data integration model. All right. We're talking about some legacy systems that were never really designed for that purpose. Right. right. And you're seeing new systems that are coming out that are challenging those legacy systems, which that's I'm like, right. yeah, you know, um, but then I think there's there's a sense of responsibility to it. And it's like, how do you I'd love to get your thoughts. I'll leave it there. <laughs> no, you bet. You bet. No, I think the, the point here is that um, what what technology can do that humans just possibly cannot is once you start to plug in or to integrate and make a connection between all these systems to that central place, the end game is building one central record. The reason that that's been a challenge, Jason, is because when you think about car dealers who have been effective at selling vehicles to the same family for a decade or two. That family has changed the Wi-Fi routers in their house. They've, they've owned four to probably 10 different smartphones over the course of the last decade. 
Um, yes. They've owned a couple of different vehicles. They've got different computers, different tablets. Um, they have different email addresses. They have different payment methods. And over time, all of the systems in, in an organization, car dealers in this case, over time, that one person without the integration starts to look like five, 10, maybe more individual folks, which mm -hmm. means when you go invest in media, first and foremost, the waste that's there, you don't know who your customer is. You don't know what your lookalike audience really is. If exactly. you don't understand who's already bought from you, then you have no idea who you need to be marketing to. You only have the hunch. You have what somebody gave you from a third-party report. That, that matters maybe in terms of a finger in the wind, but what you have to do is really dig into the data you already have. So once that integration is done, you've got at most 30 days of machine learning, artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. going to work for you and starting to understand that that phone that phone that is visiting your website right now actually could be associated with a credit card that was used to pay for service six months ago. Sure. And that credit card was also used by a computer a year ago in a, with a Wi-Fi IP address that was this that also reconciles with an old phone and an old email mm -hmm. address mm -hmm. that we have in the system from four years ago. You know, in, and, and again humans, data scientists can go about this manually. But if you're in a continuous operation, like a dealer is a living, breathing organism in terms of what you're trying to do to move inventory and what you're trying to do to serve customers. With that, the opportunity to bring in a customer data platform puts you in a position to where you a can make sense of the data you are you already have but you can plug and play with whatever's next. And I don't know if we need to dig deep in that, but that's connected cars. It's virtual yeah, no, reality. But that's, that's the direction we're heading, it's, right? I mean, that, it's, and, and, it's and, and that actually kind of goes into a comment you made earlier, you know, where we, we, you, you were talking a little bit about electric vehicles and how it could potentially affect a service business. You know, um, it, it's a great segue, um, but, but, but I'm a hundred percent with you. It's, it's, it's going to be very interesting. Let's just say this. We are definitely in the age of data w within the automotive industry. You know, it right. was like, you know, I, I I think we came out of the age of leads. <laughs> like, I swear for like 10 years straight, that's all we could ever talk about was, right. you know, get leads and how to get more leads and what do you need to say to get leads and here's a widget that can create leads and here's another company that's generating leads. And it's like, and I feel like we've kind of left that space, hopefully completely, utterly, um, and, but now I feel like we're, we're in it maybe more towards the beginning portion of it, you know, but I really feel like this next, this next decade is going to be the decade of just data and dealerships are going to work and partner with some amazing vendors. All right. And I'm going to call them partners. I don't want to call them vendors really at this point. Right. But it's just, how do you use that data? How do you capitalize that data? How do you respect that data? How do you keep the customer at the center of all your data processes and technology and services and solutions? That's right. right? And then the vehicle just now brings in more layers of data that go along with it, and especially EV vehicles do that in a very big way. You made the comment earlier, so I want to kind of explore it. How do you right. feel like EVs are going to affect our service business? Well, uh, let's just, let's call it what it is. <laughs> it's going to kill it. Yeah. It's, it's going to, 
it is it's going to take away 99% of the opportunity you have right now to for your repair order business you know the the fixed ops side of the business is um, has never had an existential threat like this before and uh, you know it's it's bottom line you there's no more oil changes for life because there's no more oil changes there's there's no more serpentine belts uh, there's no more <laughs> there's no more air filters uh, there's there's no more air filters, oil filters, spark plugs. I mean, it all goes away. Yeah. And, and, um, and, you know, this is, I think this is why if you have the data and you understand your customers today, you need to start to face the opportunity to diversify revenue, right? Is to say, how can this business in its current structure and it's in its, in its current construct, what can we do? to be able to monetize the situation, which is maybe a 10-year window of internal combustion engines, both new ones still coming from the OEMs, but also that which is the use the pre-owned inventory, what's in the auction markets. Yes. What, what can we do to monetize that going forward um, and, and somehow convert that into something that I don't think the OEMs are going to make a real easy dealer friendly thing um, to do, which is to continue to service the EV. I mean, let's, let's be honest, most EVs are going to be in a situation when um, like a lot of cars are today, even internal combustion cars are when they pull in the home uh, garage, they've got Wi-Fi connected and they can update firmware. Yes. They can get a, they can bounce it off of the database or the system somewhere else, usually not Detroit, but there, the intelligence is being collected by someone 100%. In, a, in, a, in a manufacturing location or a product location. And they're starting to see how everybody's been using the product that looks like yours. And they're starting to message back to the dealers, maybe, or they're sending out OEM propaganda on what it is you need to do and mm -hmm. somehow that's driving you into the dealer. See, now that's um, where I think it gets really interesting, right? Right. Because it, it almost kind of goes back to our very original conversation. You know, the first thing we talked about today was, was who owns a customer relationship. Now it's going right. to get to the point where, well, who owns the vehicle data? Right. You know, is, is it the dealership that sold it? Right. And are they able to utilize that data to provide a better experience? Or is it the OEM that's providing the technology, and then if so, what does the OEM do with the data to generate a closer relationship? Like, you know, does this does this allow you know people to be closer to their OEM than their dealer? It, but I'm, I'm with you. There's just a lot of it, look. It just opens up a whole can. And this may not be the intent of the OEMs. I don't know. You know, it might be. It might not be. You know, um, <laughs> I know you got some thoughts though. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I, I don't think we're going to be surprised at all when we find out that the same lobbyists that work for Tesla that are, are pushing challenges against either franchise laws state by state, um, they have a lot of the, the big three, the big five, however you want to skin it. They've got a lot of the same people supporting those same lobbyists. I'm, 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 I'm yeah, positive we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna learn that one day. But in the, in the immediate future, right? It's, um, you know, contemporarily in 2022, mm -hmm. we're dealing with supply chain issues. Exactly. So why don't you take that, that 
pre-owned inventory that's sitting on the lot right now and the constant game that you've been winning or you've been at least trying to compete with the auctions to make sure that you got hot product in that pre-owned inventory. Why don't you put a subscription plan on top of that? Why don't you create, there's dozens of companies out there that out of the box will say, don't let your inventory sit idle. You know, if it, if it's going to be 18 months for new product to get here because of chip shortages and supply chain issues, all which are related, if it's going to take that long, don't miss the opportunity to charge somebody $500 a month to drive something that's got 30,000 miles on it off the lot. And then guess what? Do some fantastic customer experience things with them while they're doing that, right? Exactly. Um, You're setting the stage for an amazing experience. I mean, this is the reason why, you know, like, don't get me wrong, I'm all for the subscription model, but I'll tell you what what looks like a subscription but doesn't have the word subscription in is an in-house lease. I think every single dealership out there, all right, should be able to carve out a percentage of capital to become their own in-house leasing leasing company. And it's like, look, you you maintain the cars, you maintain the customers, you build bigger, deeper relationships, right? Like I just, this, this, this model of just turn and burn, turn and burn, turn and burn, turn and burn, I think honestly could be our divide, our our demise. Your thoughts? Right. No, I think that's, I think that's it. Right. I mean, I, I think if you aren't focused right now on building additional streams of revenue that are different than your traditional means. Uh, if you're not, if you're not looking at, you know, innovative lease programs and yes. the, the uh, you know, what's, what's there. Uh, I talk about subscriptions a lot with dealers, I love but, subscriptions. Uh, but you know, I, I use Turo instead of rental car companies anytime I travel. And okay, I, I, I got to geek out a little bit with you because yeah. I was very early Turo user. Yeah. It's been what five, seven, six, seven years. Something? Seven years. Yeah. Seven okay. Years. Yeah. It's been about seven years. I have not rented another. I have not rented a car from a Hertz or or any other rental co- rental company out there. You know, since Turo came about. Now there's other ones. Shares another one that I use. You right. know, I um, yeah. and then the cool thing is, then there's even other programs for like motorhomes and RVs and stuff like that. But but I'm with you. I. I love that we're going down this direction because we really do have to diverse diversify our revenue. And that is just another example of a good program that, you know, I see, I actually, I do know independent dealers that have their vehicles currently on actively on Turo all the time. I do too. All the time. I do too. I do too. And that's, and that's brilliant thinking. It's, it's simple thinking because it's the, the network, the platform's already there, right? It's there and it already has an audience. And again, thank you to the pandemic. Yeah. All yeah. the, all the rental car companies Prices sold their the sold their inventory, yep. and then bam, supply chain happened. Supply chain again happened, and they couldn't get the vehicles back, or now they can't afford to buy them. You see the headlines with Hertz going out and buying so many Polestar vehicles, so many Tesla vehicles, and moving in this direction of electrification. That's just wonderful lip service oh, that's to being to to saving the earth is all 100%. that is. 100%. It's it that's all it is. At the end of the day, you would, I mean, I, I rent Teslas quite a bit through Turo for the yep. simple reason. They are so simple. The folks leave them at the airport for me, and I text them when I get off the plane, 
and then they remotely will unlock the car for me. I get the yeah. key out of the glove box. Sometimes they send me the code to open the glove box, and I open the glove box, and then I'm off, right? And I pay a $50 or $30 recharge fee, which is actually less than a full tank of gas for any other car I'd be driving right now. 100%. And, you know, and, and I just leave it where I found it whenever I fly back home, you know, and, 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 the, and, and, and a word using a word that we already use, it's a frictionless experience, right? Yes. I don't have the headache of going to a rental car counter and having to sign a contract that has my credit card information on it <laughs> that I don't know where it's going or where it'll be filed, who will see it. Um, I've got those worries. And I've got to wait. I've, I already said I have to wait in line. I have to wait in line again when I get to the garage to exit the garage. Come I have on, to it's ridiculous. Show right? my ID. I like, have it's, to. It's, it's insane. Like, I, look, it's insane. My, um, I love this. Ontario, my ID is already, already in there. My insurance right. information is already in there. My credit right. card's already in there. Um, you know, I, I had to book a car for Digital Dealer in Tampa. Done. Right. Uh, I had to book a car, uh, you know, just at NADA. You know, I was like, um, I was going through it. I'm like, oh, someone had this like the the new S class, like the the newer the new model, right? I'm like, oh, no, I haven't driven one of those yet. You know, I right. think I'm gonna try that, right? So I get there. He's like, yeah, just text me when you're in the parking lot, and I'll unlock the car. The keys will be inside. And I said, <laughs> I got there. He's like, it's in spot number seventy-seven. Right. You know, and I just right. walk over there, and he's just like, okay, I'm unlocking it now. Have a great trip. Let me know if you have any questions. Like, <laughs> come on. That's right. That's right. And if you're a dealer and you want to do this, you you don't you don't put the cars on Turo and then the minute somebody shows up to pick it up, then have a conversation with them like, "What are you driving now? Uh, uh, you, yeah, are exactly. you shopping for a car?" Don't even do that. Just just do what we're talking about here in a frictionless way. Make it last as short a period of time as possible. Get them in the car and let them go. Hundred percent. And then after the fact. Say, hey, you know, hope you'll think of us. Um, if you have a minute, what, can I show you something we have right over here? I don't know. I mean, it's, that's a, it's a perfect opportunity to set up. It is, but, but it's just an opportunity to reverse your revenue. I, I'll, th I'll throw one at you that I actually helped a dealership set up that it was a lot of fun, right? Okay. Is um, kayaks, uh, canoes, um, bike racks, all right? Like, these are things that people would love to own. They don't have physical space. They right. don't need them 365 days a year. Paddle boards was another one. So I work right. with I work with this dealership, and we bought a bunch. We bought a bunch of paddle boards. We bought a bunch of canoes. We bought a bunch of kayaks. We bought some roof racks. We brought some bike racks, and oh, we put awesome. together a rental program. You know, just just for just for the dealership, like not not outside, but just just for the customer database. Well, guess what yep. happened? People were using it. It was inexpensive. Right. It was easy. We put a little portal together. They were able to do it completely online. They came by, and guess how many more times they visited the dealership? Guess how many of those visits turned into conversations about other vehicles and additional accessory purchases and stuff like that, right? Quite a, quite a few, right? 100%. Yeah. You'd be amazed, your ROI, all right, when you offer your, your existing customer database a, a $10 a day paddleboard. Right. <laughs> right. Which was my, which was my point. If you had, if you, if you went to the length of starting a subscription, subscription, easy for me to say yeah. program, or you went the Turo route, you know, yes, and, or the share route, if, it, however you did it, right. That right there, how about, how about sending, how about it 
comes with a $25 Starbucks card. There you go. And and that way it's not just five bucks, but it's it's I'm gonna buy a cup of coffee all next week, right? Yeah. On you while I'm driving your car, which may have some branding in it, may have something else in it, but I'm gonna be reminded Guaranteed that, this is, have that this is your vehicle, right? So you know, th- this, these are easy things. I, I love the, I love the whole example you just gave because that is, that's the, that's, that's one of the things that is totally on the peripheral, right? It doesn't have anything to do with cars directly. No, it has everything to do with the customer. Yep. It has everything to do with an audience that you want to have on the lot or that you want to have on your website. It's that simple. So what can you do to diversify that experience and diversify how you monetize that with folks, meanwhile, building a relationship with them. So exactly, you have that was the key, the, the right? new and exciting thing, right? hundred right percent. Like, yeah. I mean, look, I'm not telling dealerships they're going to go get rich off of renting out $10 a day paddle boards. Okay. Not at but, all. but you have your existing customer who's driving a three-year-old minivan who comes in to grab a couple of these. And you're like, so where are you guys going? Oh, you're going to that lake. Oh, you know what? That's a great one. You guys should, you know, like you're actually able to connect, have a little bit of a relationship and, you know, go, Hey, you know, you got, you got low mileage on that thing. You know, I, I got a few people would love to buy it. If you ever want to have that conversation, you know, but let's say diverse, diverse in the revenue doesn't necessarily mean we're just creating a, a, a larger revenue stream to replace vehicles. Right. It's just, it, it's a, it's an opportunity not only to, 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 to increase revenue, but also to hack the opportunity to connect with customers on a regular basis. But you know what, though? Everything we've talked about today, and now we're getting towards the tail end of our time, but everything we talked about today requires a mindset. That's what it comes it down does. to. It requires a mindset, right? You, 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 the mindset of, of having the customer, you know, at the center of everything you do is one. Right. All right. Two, you need to embrace data. You can't be afraid right. of it, right? You can't just go, like, you can't just go, well, I hope it kind of, like, no, it's here to stay. All right. right. And embrace it and, and start having real conversations you know, with your team and ownership of like, what can we do with it? You know, right. and then third, definitely diverse your revenue because the push that we see with OEMs coming with EV vehicles, there's going to be less revenue coming into the service business. And I think there's just other opportunities that we can connect with people on a regular basis, but still diversifying and bring additional revenue streams. It's a mindset. It's a growth mindset. I know that's what Brian Benstock, if he was here right now, that's what he would say. It's a growth mindset, right? You need to get up at, f- at 3.30 in the morning, all right? And you need to go work out and you need, no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm going to get crazy. Yeah. He, I, I don't know that he gets, he would get that deep into the, the hustle there is. I know he's, um, but, uh, but seriously, seriously, he would say, and I think, I think a lot of folks that have leaned into this, right. Customer centricity and mm-hmm. making sense of data and doing it before or alongside what the OEMs are doing right now, yep. which, cause this is what they're doing. Right. Um, they're all readying themselves for uh, a world when they may manage fleets where, um, you know, if, if cars will get smarter, if cars will one day drive themselves, then maybe no one owns a car. They just pay a per use on demand fee or a monthly subscription sure. to, to, to have access to that type of mobility. So, you know, there's um, now's the time to educate yourself on what's coming out across the market, not just from the majors. Because there are another, uh, one of our clients is Electrify Expo, uh, North America's largest e-mobility festival. And there are, you know, there are 15 to 20 startups that some are already pushing out production vehicles and many more are going to be pushing them out over the course 
of the oh, next yes. 24 months. So this is coming and it's, it's coming fast. Educate yourself, yes. find new brands. There's another, there's another opportunity, find new 100%. brands to represent. Um, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's never ending. It's, it's, it's to the point we were trying to make here. It's about the mindset and just stopping to smell the roses or looking around at what's happening in the marketplace because it's not going to be the way you've done it the last 50 years. It is not going to look anything like it has. No, it, it, it's going to fundamentally change. Um, look, Tim, I know we've we've talked about some, some real great topics today, and I still think there's probably a fair amount to kind of discuss and chew on and really dive into. Uh, for everybody out there that's watching and listening right now who would may, maybe like to connect with you and, and even continue some of these conversations, what's the best way to do so? Best way to do it is on Twitter. I am at the Tim Hayden. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm at LinkedIn.com. Uh, the uh, you, uh, it's forward slash in forward slash saddle up there. Uh, nice. But if you look up Tim Hayden, you'll find me there. <laughs> That's awesome. uh, those are the two best places. I'm at BrainTrust.Partners is our website, and the last one for you is ElectrifyExpo.com forward slash industry dash day. All of the speakers there, all of the content there, that is something we do here at Brain Trust is we help manage that and curate all those speakers. It's the best place for anybody in the auto industry to understand what's happening full circle mm -hmm. in that world. Yeah. That's awesome. Hey, Tim, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. This has been a lot of fun. You have yourself an amazing day. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me, buddy. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy with Jason podcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to check out the full podcast library at strategywithjason.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Happy podcasting.